welcome to the Transformational Storyteller Podcast. The stories we tell ourselves and others shape the lives we lead. I'm your host, Dara Lise Lyons. Welcome to another episode of the Transformational Storyteller Podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome Kirsten Day, who has come through tremendous adversity to create a life for herself that is um, is really something that's inspiring and beyond powerful. And so I won't tell you too much of her story. I will let her do that for you. But um, I'm excited to, to welcome her and to hear more about her path from tragedy to triumph. My name is Kirsten, and I'm so excited to be here today to share a bit about my story. My story begins um, at a very, very young age, starting at age five. I can remember having feelings of anxiety that we couldn't quite put a finger on. And when we went to talk to doctors about it, um, I think that at that time, certainly um, it wasn't as well known um, what the symptoms were. So growing up, I did happen to have um, a bit of depression going on also. Um, and starting at a very young age, I remember having very high perfectionist tendencies. So if it was good, it was not good enough. And if it was terrible, it was tragic. And I think that not being able to differentiate between um, trying my best and doing my best and it never being good enough was the beginning of um, a spiral that started in eighth grade. Um, I was um, at a point in my life, even at that young age, where I decided that sadly I really hated myself and um, the depression had definitely kicked in and was um, very powerful at that time. Um, again, you know, it wasn't really all to the surface yet, so my family didn't know exactly what was going on, but I did decide at that time that um, I was going to um, take out the feelings that I was having on my body and unfortunately decided that um, I wanted to change myself and I was going to do anything I could to do that, and I started with restricting my food. And um, that began um, a six-year struggle with anorexia, depression, uh, primarily, and anxiety. And um, even from that very young age, I think that um, I felt like no one really understood what I was going through. And although I could talk to my family about it, it wasn't um, something that they truly understood. So although they were very concerned and did everything that they should have done to get me the outpatient treatment that I needed with um, various doctors after school um, on a consistent basis. It was um, unfortunately too powerful and um, I spiraled and spiraled um, out of control in my eating disorder um, in the hopes to control how I was feeling when in reality um, I, couldn't, I couldn't do that. And um, this continued through high school until I was a senior um, on a vacation with my family and um, I was not um, permitted to ski because um, we were trying to weight restore um, my body um, through all of the doctors that I was going to. And um, you know, I noticed that things were just escalating quite quickly to um, being 
you know, really unhappy to all of a sudden despair. And I think that I felt as though, um, you know, the depression had really escalated, the anxiety had really escalated, I wasn't sleeping, um, I wasn't um, able to get out of my own head kind of thing. And before I knew it, um, I was in a very um, detrimental psychological state. And this went on for a few days and um, culminated with actually being back at home um, and having um, something that tends to happen um, when people starve themselves, not always um, the case, but sometimes with anorexia, you can experience an auditory hallucination, which is what happened to me. And the auditory hallucination was, um, this is the end. And I think that in um, the mind of a 17-year-old, you know, adolescent, that is enough to um, really stop you in your tracks. And, and so I went from being um, so determined to be the best anorexic that I could be to all of a sudden thinking, you know, wow, this has gotten completely, completely out of control. And I am terrified as to what is going to happen next. So that was the beginning of my journey to um, treatment and to life afterwards. One of the things that Kirsten and I have in common is that we are both proud alumni of the Renfrew Center in Philadelphia. And the Renfrew Center is one of the nation's leading um, experts on eating disorders. They're helping women um, all throughout the nation to, um, to get hope and healing from seemingly um, you know, unstoppable patterns of self-destruction and pain. The Renfrew Center has been around since 1985 and they are the nation's first eating disorder treatment center. So if you or a loved one or you know friend or just anyone in your life is struggling with self-destructive patterns of eating or not eating um, or exercise or any one of a multitude of symptoms uh, that is really painful and punishing, um, contact the Renfrew Center at 1-800-RENFREW, R-E-N-F-R-E-W, 1-800-RENFREW, or go to www.renfrewcenter.com and, uh, you know, and, and contact them because they, they want to help and they've helped me and they've helped Kirsten and I can't wait to hear more about her story and I really, really hope that anyone in your life who is suffering gets, gets help because I know that it's Kirsten, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm like really excited to do a deep dive with you into you and your work and your experience. And I want to thank you too for telling that story because it really, it just really touched my heart. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those things where I think it, the more we can be open about mental health and certainly um, when I... Um, open about my story, I feel as though people really respond and you find out that a lot more people are struggling than you think. Yeah. 
Well, and I think it's really important that when you started your story, even though, you know, we are being sponsored by the Renfrew Center and we are going to talk about eating disorder, that like really the origins of the pain that led to the eating disorder preceded the eating disorder. Right. And, you know, what people don't typically understand, certainly with um, anorexia specifically, but eating disorders in general, it's not a diet gone wrong. You know what I mean? It's a psychiatric and psychological illness. It's not um, something that people are just doing for attention. There are roots to it that are very much grounded in depression and anxiety and, and other comorbid um, issues that people are having. So I think that that is misunderstood, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, having um, some sort of event in your life or um, a situation that happens um, can just kind of drum up all of um, the eating disorder uh, behavior. But really, like you said, it's, it's grounded in whatever the emotional distress is that's going on. Yeah. And then in many ways, it like it's a coping mechanism. It feels like it's saving your life That's at the right. time when it That's arises, right. Right. right? That's right. So can you talk a little bit more about because I, I like I really want people to understand that, you know, if someone in their life has an eating disorder or whatever, like they're not doing it to create a problem. They're That's actually right. doing it to solve a problem, if right. that makes sense. So can you talk about your experience with sure. that? Sure. My eating disorder specifically, I think, was used as a coping mechanism yeah. to deal with stress that was going on in my life. Um, and um, I think, you know, as adolescence is difficult for everyone, um, mine was for me. And there were some things going on, you know, in my family that were difficult that we were dealing with. and. Um, my perfectionist tendencies and my predisposition to these um, types of thought patterns were kind of setting me up anyway yeah, um, yeah. for a challenging, I think, adolescence. And so, you know, once I decided that I was going to start the behavior, um, it, it was a choice at first, but then it became um, my way of life. You know, it became a part of me. It became something that um, I really had no control over and it wasn't a choice anymore. It truly felt like I couldn't stop the um, behavior and the the ritualistic eating and you know it just felt like try as they might with my parents and my doctors and things of that sort. They couldn't they couldn't get me to turn it around and that was the really scary part. And you couldn't get you to turn it around. Yeah and I so relate to that and also in your story you were talking about like the self-hatred. Absolutely. And for me, that is something that I really, like that w- drove my own eating disorder behaviors and, and a lot of other behaviors right. that sure, I had. Sure. Like, And I don't, I, like I couldn't really even begin to work on that right. until getting into recovery, but right. that was there before the right. eating disorder That's for right. me. And it was there That's right. after giving up the symptoms. That's right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, people say, oh, you know, um, she's got this, these behaviors that she's doing and it's probably, you know, because of, you know, she doesn't like her body physically or it's because she wants attention or it's because she just can't handle the stress. And it's, unfortunately, it's much, much more complex. And I think, you know, to have um, a 13 year old girl really, um, who actually despises herself. I mean, I think that's really hard for people to get their head around. Right. So, you know, where does that come from? 
what is that rooted in and and how do we go from there was kind of a question well it's also so hard because people look at you know i mean they can't look at our insides right Right. so people look at you as a 13 year old girl and they're like but you're beautiful and you're talented and i just don't understand why you can't just see yourself the way that i see you i mean how many times did people say that to you i can't even tell you how many times people would say why can't you just eat yeah and you know again there is this distorted um perception that people with anorexia never eat anything that's not the case, right. but it is very much a controlled, um, restricted intake of food. And typically, um, the way that I was doing it was, you know, in these kind of ritualistic ways, always eating the same thing at the same time in the same fashion. And if it was outside of that, I was so incredibly uncomfortable and I'd actually feel enraged if someone was trying to make me stop doing that the way yeah. that I felt comfortable. Yeah. And I think, you know, like I said, it's, it's this, it's a, it's a multifaceted, multi-layered disorder. And, um, I think, you know, it's only, um, until you kind of scratch the surface of reversing the symptoms that you really get to what the emotional, um, issues are underneath. Right. Right. Yes. Um, well, and so I want to talk a little bit about how did you, um, cause you ended your story with the auditory hallucination right. and like, which if people don't, aren't familiar with what that is, that's hearing a voice, right. correct? Like it's, it's not schizophrenia though. No, yeah, no. It's but... absolutely, um, induced by, um, well, as you'd imagine, you know, think about someone who eats normally yeah. and is really, really hungry or has to fast for something and they start to feel a little bit lightheaded or they start to feel a little bit out of sorts. Imagine doing that for a prolonged period. Um, and then having that, um, you know, uh, depression, anxiety kind of on top of it. So it was kind of the perfect storm really. But I think, you know, at the time I felt as though I can't believe this has gone this far. Um, I had, you know, so wanted to be, like I said before, really good at this um, disorder, which is a very distorted point of which view. Is, but at yeah, the time, a, well, it's a know. symptom of the same things that cause the eating disorder, right? Absolutely. It's like I want to be the perfect fill in the blank, That's so right. I'm going to want to be the right. perfect anorexic That's too. Right. That's yeah. right. But once this happened, you know, it truly was as if I was facing my mortality. I mean, this was a very profound experience and it was terrifying and I'm actually you know in hindsight now as a grown woman very thankful for the experience because it truly launched me into desperately desperately wanting to seek help and I ended up um, which doesn't happen a lot but I ended up asking my family to have me um, put into a treatment center and so I think a lot of people you know, don't necessarily feel that um, intense um, kind of, you know, um, um, intense kind of emotional um, experience. And, and so don't necessarily have that extra push to say, wait a second, this yeah. has gotten way, way out of control. And I think um, I'm thankful for that because well, yeah. I, it allowed me yeah. to then say to my mother, without telling her exactly what had happened because I thought it would be too much, especially, you know, after all she had been through and my father had been through, um, you know, dealing with six years of this. Um, but yeah, I think it was, it was, um, me saying, you know, I need help. 
I need help. And I think at the time it was um, a really scary thing, but in hindsight, um, I think it was really hope. Yes. Yeah. You know? Well, and also, I mean, because these things, it's like any addiction, right? Like, I mean, the, it, it gets a hold of you Absolutely. and it's got you in its grasp. And I think hitting a sort of bottom, whether it be a spiritual and emotional, a behavioral bottom, hitting a place where it's like, I, this is killing me That's to right. keep doing this. That's right. So even though I'm terrified of giving it up, even That's though right. I feel like I will cease to be me if I give it up, I'm willing to do that, to take right. that leap of faith because it's just too painful, right? And even after that experience, which was so profound, yeah. obviously, um, I remember distinctly my, um, my outpatient treatment team saying, yes, we are on board, yeah. let's go to run through, let's get um, an evaluation and see kind of where we are from there. And I remember even having just had this experience, going to run through and seeing another woman waiting to go in for um, her meeting um, to be you know, uh, considered for the program. And I remember thinking, they will not think I'm sick enough to be here. Yeah. You know, they won't think that I need to be here. Yeah. They will look at me and say, no, you should probably continue without patient. And um, they didn't say that. Right, right. Well, there <laughs> is, I mean, you know, we spoke a little bit about the distortion of like not, uh, the distortion of self-hatred, right? But right. there's also a very real, I think some people might not know this, but people who have eating disorders often have a spectrum, you know, it can, sure. body dysmorphia can exist on a spectrum, but like there is this thing of not being able to see yourself accurately. So and, you might yeah. look in the mirror and see like, oh, I'm overweight and be emaciated. Or you right. might, you know, right. just there's like a, it's almost like a funhouse mirror right. effect. That's yeah. true. And you know, it's interesting because throughout the process you of recovery, you learn how to trust yourself again to see yourself yeah. the way that you truly are. Yeah. But I went, you know, from being this very intense, <laughs> um, determined, um, you know, anorexic dealing with these issues yeah. to now all of a sudden I'd flip the switch and I wanted to be the best recovery oh my gosh. patient yes. person, yes. you know? Yes, yes, yes. And so I went into Renfrew and I was like, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. You know, I'm going to eat what they tell me to eat. I'm going to yeah. talk through every group. I'm yeah. going to express all of these emotions and I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to feel better probably within a week. And it doesn't work that way. No, and no. it was the hardest experience that I've ever gone through in my entire life. And I've had two kids, you know, yes, it was yes. like nothing I've ever experienced. And I think, you know, over time, what starts to happen is as you start to feed yourself, um, more regularly and normally with the help of the team there, um, I experienced what I like to refer to as an emotional awakening of sorts. Yeah. And um, my um, emotional state, which had actually been incredibly numb and kind of void of feeling for years because it, the eating disorder had pushed that all away, all of a sudden it all rushed in. And now I'm faced with the emotion. Yeah. That's the cause. Well, and the emotion that was the cause, but also because you've been suppressing and suppressing exactly and suppressing right. all the layers, you know, had you, and you didn't have the tools to deal with the nope. emotion at the time, right. but 
if you'd been able to deal with it at the time, it wouldn't maybe have been so big or painful or scary because you've got then these six years of suppression right. on top of it. Right. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, no one really equips you for how to respond to things, um, certainly when you feel intensely about them. Yeah. And I think children in particular, you know, certainly when I was growing up, which wasn't that long ago, there were not a lot of people talking about mental health. And so, you know, it was oh, like, you know, you're, you're a little upset, but it'll be okay. And certainly there was no reason to be alarmist about things. But at the same time, I think that now with my own children, I am watching and listening and, and thinking, you know, what are you really trying to tell me? Yeah. You know, and is there more to that? Or is it just, you know, that we're upset and we're moving on, you know, yeah. or is there something that I really need to think more about? Yeah. So I think, you know, if I had had some of those tools, like you said, from the beginning, maybe my situation would have been different, but I don't think that I would have had the fortunate experience, which sounds odd, of going through it. I mean, I think it is. It's it's sort of blessing it in, is. in it really disguise. Is. And it really equips you. I mean, having to go through any sort of horrific mental, emotional, behavioral addiction sort of recovery, it really does then equip you with the life skills to be able to handle adversity it's and true. yeah difficulties. So I want to hear, you were really young when you got into recovery. Yes. Um, I, you know, maybe was like a decade <laughs> behind in terms of that. But um, so what was that like for you? Because I feel like then you went into high school and college and all of that sort of so, in yeah, recovery. Um, I went inpatient um, for the second half of my senior year. Okay. Um, I went through the whole Renfrew program and there are various levels of the program, as you know. Um, and then went back to high school two weeks before graduation and graduated. Wow. Okay. And then took my um, meal plan to um, senior week at the yep. beach. Yep. Oh and, my gosh. you know, it was just yeah. this like kind of being thrown back into real life. Yeah. Um, and um, luckily for me, it worked. Um, I went to. Well, actually, and you did the work, right? Because right, right, yeah, right. yeah. And I had applied for school from um, the hospital. So I went to um, I went to college on time. Okay. And went um, to Lehigh University and um, started my freshman year um, speaking about my experience. And it was really powerful because I think that women um, and certainly men are affected by eating yeah. disorders as well. One in three um, people struggling with an eating disorder is male. Um, people just kind of came out of the woodwork and said can we get coffee? Can we talk about this? I'm experiencing some of the stuff you're describing and, and I need to kind of know how to deal with it. And I think for me at the time it was, um, selfishly or not, it was really helpful in my recovery. Well, I think, yes, the more honest you can be, the more sure. helpful. And also, you know, like people who are in a addictive pattern or a eating disorder pattern, like if you're not talking about the symptoms or you're not talking about what you're doing, sometimes it's so that you can insulate and protect those right. symptoms. And the more you're right. sort of like telling people about recovery, the more accountability there is. Like right. then if they notice that, oh, okay, you're not eating for a couple days or we're inviting you to dinner and you say no to every dinner invitation, like people start to challenge you on that if you're speaking about openly about wanting to be in recovery or being in recovery. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the most um, kind of impactful piece of it all was um, 
the response was not a negative one. Yeah. When I'm sitting there and I'm saying, this is my story and this is what happened and this is what I've been through. And, um, the, the response wasn't, you know, oh my gosh, she's so strange. How did she like, what happened there? Or, you know, what is that about really? Um, it was, it was genuinely, wow. Okay. Well, um, I've experienced some of that or thank you for sharing that with me because now I can understand a little bit more if, if someone in my life is struggling, you know, that kind of reaction and creating kind of a community where it's safe to talk about these things, I think is so critical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, at what point did you, cause now I know you started this brand and you help other people. So like, at what point did you make that transition from, I'm going to own my story sure. to, I'm going to use my story to help other people. Um, well, I went to, um, after school, I went to New York, um, to live there for eight years. And, um, I started a career that I'm still participating in, um, mm-hmm. actively in the fashion industry. But, um, as I was doing that, my daughter was born, um, six years ago and I found myself after she was born, um, Certainly going through, first of all, going through pregnancy yeah. as someone in recovery is an interesting experience to begin with. Yes. But um, getting through that and and having this incredible opportunity to be a mom, I just felt like there was definitely something missing. And I felt like I just needed to be doing more with um, educating about um, certainly eating disorders, but yeah. also depression and anxiety and talking about, you know, more openly about what had happened with me. And I just felt kind of like this was my, this was my duty to do this, you know? Um, And that is where Strength is Beautiful was kind of born. So I have a bunch of follow-up questions about motherhood and and I'm gonna ask you those, but tell a little bit more about Strength is Beautiful and the work that you that you do in that in that milieu. Sure. So Strength is Beautiful is um, it's it's twofold really. It's a series of programs that I developed mm-hmm. with um, Dr. Janice Hillman from Penn Medicine. She vetted them for me. She's okay. phenomenal. Um, and um, it is um, about eating disorders and behavioral health. Um, and depending on the audience, it kind yeah. of skews the topic of conversation a little bit. But it's informative, um, but it's also uh, tied in with my own story. And so I think that people feel, um, once you start to tell your own story, that it's, it's kind of opening the door for them to discuss, you know, perhaps something similar that they've experienced or, you know, to relate to you in some way or another. So I've worked a lot with Renfrew, which is um, a phenomenal place, as we know, and um, NIDA in New York. Which stands for National Eating Disorder Awareness. Yeah, they are um, a phenomenal organization, lots of information um, there. And then various local organizations and schools and women's groups. And um, so, yeah, so it's really kind of over the six years become um, a passion of mine to really be as open and vocal about this as possible and kind of give people um, the go ahead to say, okay, this is, this is happening with me and this is okay. You know, because I think that my message is on the other side of these very difficult situations, certainly an eating disorder, you know, a, a terrible depression, yes. there, is, there is life and there is recovery. And, you know, I have a medical predisposition to depression and that's okay. Yes. I will have that my whole life. That is okay. I manage it. Right. Um, I have 
people in place who help me do that. Yeah. And um, I'm able to have a career and have a family and have a, you know, a marriage and, yeah. uh, and a really full, full life. So I think um, that's really important for people to understand. Right. And, and a full life and one that has meaning and where you're giving back sure. and you're using these experiences that are challenging and, but also, if you didn't have those challenges, you wouldn't be able to relate to people and help right. them through in the way right. that you are. Right. Are I think doing. it creates a connection. Oh my gosh, you know? totally. Like I feel very connected to you. Yes, I feel very connected to you too. And I, like, I, I don't know, I, I'm sure that other viewers and listeners will be interested in this, but I'm really asking just for myself because I, I haven't had sure. this experience, but what was it like to go through pregnancy? What is it like to be a parent? Like where you're literally having to feed other people from sure. a position of being in recovery Sure. Um, you know, it's interesting. I have not had any relapse of the eating disorder, yeah. thankfully. Yes. Um, since my time at Renfrew, um, the depression has been something I've had to manage um, more so. But, you know, I think for someone who likes to have control, certainly over themselves and their feelings, yes. um, and possibly other things, yeah. um, <laughs> I think, a changing body outside of your control is a very odd experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously cognitively, I could say to myself with both the pregnancy with my daughter and my son, this is a miracle. This is a blessing. This is something that is just truly remarkable. I, I you know, truthfully, I didn't like my body changing. Yeah. And I didn't like the way that that felt. And so because I knew that there were various facets of the pregnancy that I would have to deal with, um, I kept my psychiatrist in place. My OB knew about my history right off the bat. Um, they even asked me, did I want, when I came in, because you get weighed a lot, yeah. you know, do I want to do a blind weight, um, which um, in treatment typically means that you're turned around and you don't have to see the number on the yeah. scale. Yeah. Um, so it's not triggering for people. And, and so I already had kind of you know, things in place should they go pear-shaped. And they didn't, yes, luckily. Yes. But there were facets of things that I really um, had to consider. You know, how was I going to deal with an antidepressant throughout the pregnancy? You know, how was I going to deal with um, the, the change in body? Uh, yeah. And, you know... The change in hormones. The change in hormones. The change in everything, really. And, yeah, the right, in your entire right. life. Yes, you know, yeah. it's a complete change in your entire life. So, but my children now have really been the ones to drive me to talk about this stuff because I would hate for them to ever feel like they couldn't tell someone, um, certainly tell me or my husband if they were experiencing any of this stuff, you know, and I don't ever, I would, I, I would, just don't want that for, you know, our young people and certainly not for anyone, but, um, I just think that it's so incredibly valuable to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Well, I remember, you know, when I was a little kid, I don't remember what the inciting incident was, but I know I was crying. Mm -hmm. Like, I know I was just crying and crying about something. And my mom said, you know, are you okay? Do you want a hug? Mm -hmm. And I said, no. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm fine. And mm -hmm. no, I don't need a hug. And I remember that, you know, like afterwards, maybe, you know, like a couple hours or whatever, after, sure. you know, the feelings had abated, she was like, well, Derek, why didn't you want a hug? And I said, well, mom, because if you gave me a hug, 
that's supposed to make it all better. And I knew I wasn't ready for it to all be better. And, you know, I think back on that now. Well, wait, wait, but I was thinking back on it now and I'm like, wait a minute. Why did I believe that I couldn't ask for or receive emotional support unless it was going to like fix me, right? Right, You know, and I think it's helpful to grow up in a household where maybe, you know, if if there is a parent who's predisposed to depression or whatever, where it's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to share my feelings and they don't have to be solved. Like we can, we can talk about feelings. We can give hugs. We can give a hug now and we can give another hug an hour later, you know, and, and I just, I feel like it is really important for people to have a, a, feel like it's like safe to be with feelings and not, you know, need to kind of put a bow on them. Sure. Sure. Certainly, um, you know, male and female. Yes. 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 Um, I think what was really profound for me, um, in treatment was the first time and I will never forget when my feelings kind of came back to the surface and we were in group and there was another woman um, talking about her experience and I just started sobbing and it had nothing to do with me. Yes. You know, and all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is a really powerful moment. And this is when things are starting to change. You know, it was a really, I will never forget that. And I think, um, that people don't even understand what that could feel like because a lot of people aren't walking around completely emotionally numb. You know what well, I mean? Uh, or they're walking around just like low level emotionally sure, numb, right? Sure, um, sure. Yeah. And, and, and empathy that comes empathy, from being absolutely. a human being and absolutely. like connecting with another human being is. And for anyone considering yeah. it, I do think that the community and treatment is a phenomenal um, experience. I yeah. think just to be with other people who understand what you're talking about and how it is. Yes. And just to say, you don't have to explain. I get it. Yeah. You know, that's a really powerful thing. Yeah. And I think for me, the thing that was the most powerful about being in a treatment setting was just being able to put everything else on hold. That's right. And prioritize getting well as if it were my only job because really it it was like it really was it was all I could do and I remember you know we were talking about being numb and not having feelings like they had to give me a chart of feelings like the different faces and the different labels because I would have a feeling and I wouldn't know what it was I remember the first time I experienced boredom I was like I'm having a feeling. I don't know what this feeling is because I had never right. not been doing something. Right. And then I like was like, oh, I'm, I, and I like I had to call someone. I called my mom and I was like, mom, I'm having this feeling. Let me describe it to you. And she's like, I think you're bored. I think you're, you know? bored. <laughs> I right. think you're bored. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so it's it's pretty amazing to be able to like come alive again. It it truly is like coming alive again. And I think there are other factors that people don't realize are also at play. Um, when you're restricting your food for a really long time, you lose all sense of hunger. Yes. And so I had to relearn what does hunger feel like? What does being full feel like? Is this just a physical reaction that I'm feeling that's really uncomfortable because, you know, I'm just starting this process or am I really full? You know, it was, and so there's so many levels to it. You know, it's not just the physical, it's not just the emotional, 
it's the whole the whole thing. Yeah, and I think I'm gonna put I'll put a link in the show notes to um, the starvation study, which I don't know had you oh, ever no. heard of mm-hmm. that study. So essentially, I believe it was uh, in World War II. During World War II, they gave. Um, a number of men the opportunity to, instead of enlisting, um, to participate in a study where essentially they were food deprived. They were oh, wow. they were starved for a period of time to see the effects oh, of wow. starvation. Not fun. No, it was <laughs> not fun at all. And at the same time, the findings were remarkable because what they revealed were that a lot of like the effects of starvation or the effects that people with eating disorders go through on a regular basis, like feeling, you know, disconnected from the world, feeling right. cut off, feeling, you know, having exhaustion. Yeah, exhaustion, lying about food, having sure. cravings, hiding food, you know, sure. um, sabotaging relationships, things that like are a direct result of the behaviors that people with eating disorders do. But um, some people actually went insane, had nervous breakdowns. One man tried to chew off his finger. I mean, it, oh like goodness. it was, wow. yeah, it was devastating. People right. were having hallucinations sure. and, and it really just goes to show. And these were all people who were completely normal around food of and course. had no, yeah. I mean, they'd been pre-screened, so they didn't have a predisposition to anxiety or depression or all of that. But it really goes to show just like how the consequences of the behaviors are devastating and those behaviors are layered on top of pre-existing right. mental and emotional issues. So it, right. it, I think reading that kind of study or just understanding what's going on inside the body of someone who's struggling with this, it, it helps to like take away some of the stigma or some of the like trying to figure out, well, why are you doing this? Sure. And trying to like logic with people sure. because it's really sure. like they're fighting biology, biochemistry. And I think anytime you're manipulating, whether it's with restricting or binging and purging or binging, I mean, whatever that or even over exercising yeah. or, you know, orthorexia where, you know, the focus is more on living a healthy lifestyle. Um, I think your body is supposed to respond to hunger cues. Yeah. So, you know, what I talk about a lot is um, we are the way that we are um, because of genetics and because of metabolism. And if you try to manipulate that, um, you're going to have, you know, these negative effects. And I think that it's so much more valuable to um, listen to your hunger cues and eat intuitively, which means, you know, when you're, when you're hungry and stopping when you're full, rather than trying to, you know, manipulate it because in the end, the result is not going to be, you know, worthwhile. You know, here we are to say today, like, you know, this is not, this is not a good experience. No, it's It's not. And I think it's important, you know, you brought up intuitive eating and I try to practice that and practice intuitive living and all of that. And at the same time, uh, for me personally, like I needed a period of mechanical eating, you know, of I needed course, a period absolutely. of, and yeah, and you too, you absolutely. mentioned going to spring right. senior break or whatever, right, right with right. your meal plan, like right. that there is a time when it isn't natural to that's trust right. oneself because the cues are so skewed. skewed. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. It's a relearning of things going through the treatment process. Yeah. So speaking of learning and educating people and getting the message out there, I want you to tell a little bit about, you know, how if someone does want you to come and speak to their organization sure. or group, like how can they arrange that? 
That's great. Um, yes. So we are on um, Instagram and Facebook. Yep. And certainly, um, if you know anyone is interested in a program, that's wonderful. But I've also had people reach out just about um, personal questions that they've had. So all is welcome. And it's um, strength underscore is underscore beautiful underscore at um, on Instagram and strength is beautiful on Facebook. Okay. That's wonderful. And, um, I like to ask all of my guests who come on because this is a uh, podcast about stories, transforming through stories, um, you know, and how their stories have transformed over time. You know, I think every story has some sort of moral, some sort of lesson, some sort of theme or message. So if you had to sort of choose a message or a theme for your story what would you what would you want people to take from your story i think um that um despair can turn into hope and hope is a real thing yeah. you know i think that hope is something to hold on to and it's real and i think that you can get through very difficult things um and go on to live a life that you you know, should be living. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I, I enjoyed it too. And I'm really, um, I'm hopeful that some of our viewers and our listeners will reach out to you because you are so beautiful and oh, so strong you. and your story is such an inspiration and you're real about it. You know, I mean, you're not, you're not pretending that life is perfect, but right. there is a whole lot of hope to be had and a whole lot of connections to be made. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm really grateful that Kirsten came on today and shared her story of getting back up after a difficult time. And along with that theme, one of our show sponsors is Just Strong, a clothing brand for women that emphasizes strength after adversity. So if you would like to take advantage of 10% off on any of their amazing offerings, go to www.juststrong.com and enter the coupon code DARALEASE10 at checkout. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Transformational Storyteller Podcast. As always, thanks to our episode sponsors, our production team at Rebel Hill Consulting, and of course, many thanks to you, the listener. Whoever you are, wherever you are, I hope you're creating stories that empower you and inspire others.